0: Welcome. So grateful that you're all here, both those of you that are here in person and those of you that are joining us online. Thank you. You can see up on the screen announcement. Uh, most of you are aware that we are unable, because of health department edicts, to have our normal harvest dinner down at the Moose Club, as we've done each year. Uh, we have fed between three and 400 people from this town year after year, and they look forward to it, but there was just no way that we could do it. So, What we have decided that we can do is that we can stuff the turkey and what that means is you can bring in non-perishable goods and if you're wondering what those might be there's actually a sign out on the turkey on the front of it that gives you some samples of what you can do you can bring all of that in put it carefully into the turkey into the container that we have for it and at the end of the time which would be after next sunday we're actually going to weigh it all And then once we've weighed, the church as a whole will match that with goods that we're going to give down to our local food pantry. So this would be our way of saying we can help to feed folks in our area even though we can't do the dinner. So I encourage you, maybe when you're out getting groceries, you can pick up an extra can of corn or something like that or whatever's on the list that actually meets your fancy. So um, I don't know where you've been living lately, uh, but if you've been living on planet Earth, at all, 2020 has been quite a year, hasn't it? Um, I was talking with the director of our health department yesterday, and he was telling me stories of families that have been divided over this issue, churches that have been divided, that communities have been divided over this issue of COVID-19 and the pandemic, and. The issue is not just the actual virus itself, but the fallout from the virus. Steps that have been taken to safe distance and to wear masks and all of that stuff. And again, please hear me. I'm not talking about whether it's right or wrong, or whether I agree with it or I disagree with it. I'm just saying that between the virus and the steps that have been taken to curtail it, it has been quite a year, hasn't it? it, It's been like no other. Uh, I was reading uh, this week online, and maybe you guys don't do this, but I, I. kind of like to do it, I found out that the Congressional Budget Office, which is the office that our Congress has to measure how we're doing as a country, says that by the end of 2020, by the end of this year, the U.S. federal debt will reach 98 to 98.2% of our GDP, which is our gross domestic product. What that means, by the way, is uh, a good example would be if... Um, Let's pick on Chris. Chris, if you're making a wood project, maybe you're making a table for somebody, and that table has a $100 of value in it. You want to sell it for 100 What that means is that you're going to actually make $1.08 profit because the rest of it is spent in debt. Uh, it comes to the equivalent of $20.3 trillion of debt. That's trillion. That's 12 zeros. That's how much we're in debt this year because of all of the aid, which many people love to get, but the aid that the government's giving to help people to deal with the pandemic. Our debt has gone up significantly. Home equity debt, which is the difference between the value of a house and how much you owe on it. Home equity debt in the U.S. has soared past $18.72 trillion. This is encouraging, isn't it, by the way? Bankruptcies are up 33% in the USA. Bankruptcies, just this year, up 33%. On a more domestic level, George Gallup, who does the Gallup polls that you guys hear about, reports that 64% of couples find themselves arguing over their money, and it's the number one immediate cause of divorce in America today, issues of finance. Uh, one person suggested that we change our vows from till death do us part to till, till death do us, till debt do us part. Uh, debt has just overtaken our nation in ways that we couldn't imagine. The end result of the article I was reading said this People are spending more than they make, and they're no happier for it. People are spending more than they make, and it's not making them any happier. Uh, What I want to do this morning is finish up our series on stewardship and life stewardship in particular, knowing that we're entering into a season coming into November and December when a lot of people do a lot of their shopping for Christmas and for gifts for people. So I thought it would be good for us to finish out our series with some very simple principles that I believe uh, God would use to help us. Um, The Bible has a lot to say about finances. Luke chapter 16, verse 11, Jesus said, If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, your money, who will trust you with true riches? In other words, how you handle your money has some spiritual implications. And fortunately, the Bible gives us some really good advice about our money. One of the wisest people to ever live also happened to be one of the richest people to ever live, and his name was Solomon. And Solomon gives us some great advice in a little book called Proverbs. Proverbs is a very practical book to teach us how we should live life. Solomon lived it all and found both good and bad in it. He found examples of what to do and what not to do. And so he's given us some great advice in how we should handle our finances. Um, These points, by the way, that I'm going to give you aren't in any specific order. uh, But if you've ever been in a place where you have said something like, I wish we could get on a more stable foundation in our family financially. I wish we could do better. This, of all messages, this would be a great message to take some notes and to just say, these are things that I believe God would help us with. And these are all things, by the way, that Karen and I have taught couples through the years about ways to get out of debt and how to live their lives debt-free. So I want to give them to you. And again, they're not in any specific order, although I do think there is some value in the order I give. Number one, you have to keep good records. Uh, over these weeks, I've tried to impress upon you the need to know where your money comes from, which we believe all that we have comes from God. God provides it for us. But it's not only important to know where your money comes from, it's important to know where your money's going. What are you spending your money on? Um, Karen and I would tell couples again and again, you have to start with knowing the heart of God for your finances, but then it's important to tell your money where to go, not to try to, at the end of the year, figure out where it went. I can't tell you how many couples we would meet with and they say, I don't know. I don't know where it all goes. Well, I think part of it is starting with keeping good records. Um, the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 23, Riches can disappear fast. So watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and herds. Now, again, when Solomon's writing that, he's writing to a very agrarian community. But the value for us is we ought to know what's going on in our finances. And this is the principle of accounting. I I can't tell you, again, how many couples we've met with that say, I I don't know, I can't understand it. We, We make good money and I just don't know why we don't have enough. And I think it's because they don't start with what they're doing with their money. They don't settle first and foremost whose money it is and then who has the right to tell us what to do with our money. And the fallout is almost always debt. Proverbs 23, 23 says, get the facts at any price. We should be asking ourselves questions like, how are we doing financially? Is God pleased with how we're spending our money? Is it honoring and glorifying to God in all that we do in our family? There are four things you need to keep good records on. Four things. Number one, what I own. And by what I own, I mean, what has God put in your hands to use? Number two, what I owe. Number three, what I earn. And number four, where it all goes. Now, this message is going to have some, probably some practical steps for you, but also some practical examples. Um, Tabor and I, when we first got married, we were living at a Bible college in Lima called Elam. And at Elam, you didn't get paid a lot of money. Uh, you got paid a, a small amount of money, and then they gave you a little bit of food allowance because they knew that they weren't paying you much. But we found that every month, we started asking for our paycheck a little bit earlier. So like if we were supposed to be paid on the last day of the month, we'd ask for it maybe a week earlier. And then couple months later, we'd asked for it two weeks earlier. And then, th- and then we got to a point where we realized we were asking for our paycheck a month ahead of time because we weren't making it. And so finally, the guy who was in charge of this at Elam asked to meet with us. And he was very kind and very gentle about it. He just said, I'm here to help. It's obvious that you're struggling some. C- can I talk to you about your finances? And we said, sure. We don't care. We're not trying to hide anything. He said, well. Tell, tell me how much you make, how much you, uh, well, he knew how much we made. Tell me how much you're spending and stuff like that. And we said, well, I don't know. He said, I tell you what, I want you to go home and I want you to take a piece of paper and I want you to write out all the stuff that you're spending on this coming up month. And so we did and we went back to him with it and we looked at it and for the first time we realized we were overspending how much we were making. And I know for you that seems like, ah, duh, That was the reality. We were spending more every month than we were making, and it was just compounding down the road. And so that's why we were asking for our check earlier. Over the years, Kaira and I have found that we have had to keep good records about how much we make and how much we want to spend that money on, believing that God wants some say in it. So uh, when we would meet with couples, we've met with a lot of couples over the years. Some of you are sitting in this room. We met with couples to go over their finances. I can remember one couple in particular. The wife would run out to her mailbox to get the mail first before her husband could get it because she had taken out another credit card that he didn't know about. Um, in other cases that we're aware of, people began to charge for things that they wanted, but they didn't have the money for, it, and they knew they didn't have the money for. It. They just had a hope that maybe somewhere down the road we could catch up. No plan, just the hope. And they would charge more and more, whether it be for a new vehicle, the bigger vehicle, the better vehicle, or whether it be for a house, or whether it be for a TV. They began to charge more and more. And I want to suggest to you that the principle is very simply this. Ignorance of your financial condition plus easy credit will almost always equal disaster. Let me say it again. Ignorance of your financial future what, what you have coming in and what you owe, plus easy credit, which they make it so easy today. It equals disaster. So the first step is to keep good records, to know how much God is putting in your hands, how much seed do you have, and then what is it that God would have you to spend that on? And you keep good records of it. Number two, plan your spending, which has to do with the principle of budgeting. A budget, by definition, is simply planned spending. A budget is telling your money where you want it to go rather than wondering where it went. Um, you'd be amazed at how often we'd meet with couples to discuss their finances, and they didn't have a budget, but they would tell us, oh, we, we know all of it. We can, we can tell you right now. We'd say, okay, let's do this. And so they would start telling us, and we'd meet with them once, and we'd say, okay, so you make this much money, yes, and you have these expenses. Okay, well, it should work then, so let's figure out how you can do this, and we would set up a budget plan with them and then the next time we would get together, they'd say, well, it didn't work. And i said, well, what happened? We'd look through it, and they'd say, oh, we forgot. We also had, we just completely forgot we had the cable bill. Just, I don't know how that slipped our mind, but yeah. And we would go month after month meeting with them, finding out more and more, because they never took the time to actually write it down and to make a budget for themselves. They felt like somehow they could handle it themselves. Proverbs 21.5 says, Plan carefully, and you will have plenty. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. One of the things this verse is saying is that financial freedom is not determined by how much you make. It's determined by how much you spend. It's one of the biggest myths in our society. We think if I could only make a little bit more, then I could make it. But the truth is, it never works because your yearnings always exceed your earnings. You always have more want than you have more money. And so you always then adjust your living, your lifestyle, to how much you're making. I can remember back in the day, how many of you remember when your parents would give you a dollar and you thought you were rich? I could go to Dollar General and buy anything. Well, then you somehow got an allowance and it started going up, and pretty soon your parents said, with inflation, I need to pay you five dollars, and now a dollar seemed like nothing. And you adjusted your lifestyle to the $5 or the 10 or to the $1,000, whatever it is. Your yearnings always exceed your earnings. Financial freedom is not based on how much you bake. Financial freedom is based upon how much you spend. Financial freedom doesn't come from making more. It comes from spending less. But in order to do that, you have to make a budget and stick to it. Another translation of that verse I read says, it talks about hasty shortcuts or another way of saying this is impulse buying. How many of you have ever gone into a store with no intent of buying that thing, you see it, you think it's such a great deal, and you've got to have it suddenly, and you buy it? How many of you have ever done that? The rest of you are plain lying, and you know it. Uh, Karen and I, years ago, uh, had a salesman show up at our apartment at Elam, and he was giving away, get this, he was giving away a brand new, top and 35-millimeter camera for free. (laughs) Oh, there was one other little part of the deal. You had to buy all of your film from him, and you had to buy so much per year. Well, we looked at it, and we thought, we get a free camera. We're going to buy film anyways, so what's the big deal? So we headed, and we signed for the deal. And then later on, and I think it must have been either that night or the next day, we were talking with her father, who was much older and much wiser. And he said, okay, number one, you realize that the cost of the film you're buying from them is like double the price of what you can buy it at any other store? No, uh, we don't buy that much film, so we wouldn't know. He goes, I e- I do. And he says, it costs a lot more. And do you realize that the amount of film they're wanting you to buy every year, you could never use in a lifetime, even if you were a professional photographer? And all of a sudden, the deal didn't seem so good. Now fortunately, back in the day, we had like a period of time in which we could undo that deal. And so we did, and we saved ourselves, thankfully, through her father-in-law's counsel, we saved ourselves from having that kind of a debt that would have been ours, all because of a great impulse deal. Uh, The problem is that we live in America and that we are inundated every day with ads of sales, of things you just got to have. Have you ever heard a commercial that said, listen, we think this is something that you really could use, but we want you to take some time and go home and pray about it. And after you think and pray about it, if you still want it, then we think this would be a good deal for you. Have you ever heard that kind of ad? What do the ads say? You need this and you need it now. This thing is going to change your life forever. That new car is going to change your life. And then you get the car and you realize it's just a piece of plastic and metal with some rubber tires. That's all it is. It doesn't make any difference at all. <coughs> and we do this. We do this whether it's for food or clothes or any other toy, guns, books. We do it constantly. Yeah, but it's a, it's a great deal, Pastor. I, I, I thought it was interesting. You go into a place like Kohl's. I don't know if any of you guys ever shop at Kohl's, uh, but Kohl's is... Uh, a store that many of you are familiar with. You go into Kohl's, and you do your shopping. You go to the cash register, and you cash out, and they hand you a receipt. And this receipt is this long. But the thing is, they say to you immediately, Mr. Loneville, you have saved $78. Whoa! (laughs) I've saved money, Mom! Well, you know... uh, they forget to tell you how much you've spent. And how much you spent that you never intended to going in. But you've saved money. And I want to suggest to you, that's the danger of living in our country where everything is easy. Credit's easy, items are easy, and they're constantly telling you what you need to make your life better. Um, Proverbs 21.20 says, Wise people live in wealth. L- listen to the scripture. Look at it. Look at it. Wise people live in wealth and luxury. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Drop the mic, go home, sermon over. (laughs) For some of you, this is the only verse you need in the whole Bible. In fact, all you need is the last like eight words. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. And it's in the Bible, so I can say that word. We couldn't say it at home, but I can say that word here. I don't think you guys heard it. Wise people live. Wise people live in wealth and luxury. Why? Because they write it down, they budget their money, they pray about what they should spend. But stupid people spend their money as fast as they can get it. I want to suggest to you that uh, for Karen and I, we met with that man back at Elam back in the day. This goes back 40 years. We met with him. We weren't doing well. We were overspending. And he said, why don't we make up a budget? I said, "Okay, help us. I didn't know how. I was all brand new. My parents never talked to us about money. I have no idea what my parents made or what they spent their money on. No idea. So I said, well, what do we do? And he said, well, here's what you do. You're going to put down at the top how much you make. And then the next on your list is this. And then make make a budget. And we did that, and we found that with careful budgeting. And it was tight. In fact, when we made this budget, he says, this is This budget's probably too tight. You won't be able to keep with it. But we did. And that then gave us some breathing room that we could then begin to live more normally. And then as more money came in, we could live a little bit easier, which was great. Well, we have budgeted, and we have continued to budget to this very day. Every year, we set up a budget every single month That budget is set. It's actually set at the beginning of the year, and we have a budget for every month of the year. So we have a budget for October coming up in November. We have a budget for November, and we know, based upon what we're going to have come in, what we're going to actually spend our money on, and then how much we could save. We go through it all, which actually brings me to number three. Save for the future, which again is the principle of saving. Um, Proverbs 21.20, another translation says this. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Save. The average family in Japan saves 20% of their income. The average family in Europe saves 18% of their income. The average family in the USA overspends how much they make. The average family in America spends 1% more than what they make. And that might not seem like a lot, but number one, that's the average, which means some are way up higher, some are maybe lower. But we're overspending how much we're making on a regular basis. We want it, and we want it now, and we excuse then what we're doing. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. And by the way, all of these proverbs are for you, Randy. We were talking about Proverbs yesterday, so Randy, this is all for you. Proverbs 6, six says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which, having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. In other words, an ant, even an ant knows it has to provide food for itself for the coming cold months. And yet we rarely take time to even plan for savings. American Demographics is a magazine and it states that most baby boomers will be dead broke in retirement. They don't even start saving until they're in the late 50s. And the number one reason given in this magazine, American Demographics, is envy. We look around and we want what everybody else has. Without even realizing that In order to have what they have, they're in debt up to their eyeballs. But we want to be just like them. Envying is always craving and never satisfied. It's always wanting more. What you have might be perfectly fine. I found myself doing it this week, just this week. I got a email from Verizon. I have a cell phone and my cell phone plan is with Verizon. Maybe some of you, did any of you guys get an email from Verizon this week? The, the, the email says this, you can trade in your phone and get an iPhone 12 for $400 less because you trade in your phone. And I immediately began to look at this and think, yeah, man, my phone, my phone is an iPhone 8. We're talking about an iPhone 12. It's, it's got to be four times better, right? 8 to 12? It's got to be better. And I immediately began to think, I could save $400. $400. All of us can get caught up in this. I don't care who you are. The ads are there. The draw is there to always want something newer and better. In order to get out of debt, we have to stop comparing, stop competing, and just decide, it doesn't matter what other people have. I have to be satisfied with what God wants me to have. And if God wants my vehicle to be 10 years old, and that vehicle gets me around, I'm going to be grateful for a 10-year-old vehicle that runs and gets me around. I might have to put some work into it once in a while. I might have to fix some things once in a while. But it's okay, because this is how God wants me to live, and I want to be satisfied with that. I personally want you and me to be free of envy. And one of the helps that we have given you, by the way, is Pastor John's class on finances. I hope that for many of you, you've been able to avail yourself of that. It's the idea that we need to begin to plan for how we're going to live our lives. How we can perhaps even buy a house, but buy a house that is reasonable to our needs and buy it and get out of debt as quickly as possible instead of looking at 30 and now 40-year mortgages. But How we can get out of debt as fast as we can. Number four. This, again, I said these weren't in order. This one probably could have been almost number one. Return 10% back to God, which is the principle of tithing. So we've dealt with the principle of accounting, the principle of budgeting, the principle of savings, and now the principle of tithing. Malachi 3.10. Bring to the storehouse a full tenth of what you earn so there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord all-powerful. I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings that you need. The first 10% of all that you make belongs to God. All of it comes from God, but 10% demands. 10% isn't just a gift. It's a debt that we owe God. And why does God ask for 10%? I don't know. He's God. It's all His. He could have asked for a third or a half, or He could have asked for 100%, but He didn't. He asked for 10% and He said that's His money. And when you don't give Him His money, you're stealing from God. The first 10% belongs to God. The Bible gives us three good reasons, I think. Number one, the tithe is an act of gratitude for the past. The tithe is our way of saying, God, you have provided for us abundantly, and we're so grateful. And we know that it's all yours, and you're only asking for 10%, so we give this 10% with gratitude in our hearts for your provision. It's also, number two, an act of priority in the present. It's saying, God, I want you to be number one in my life. And the way I'm going to show that is by putting my money where my mouth is. It's easy to say God's my Lord, but you ought to make sure your money is saying the same thing. And number three, it's a statement of faith for the future. Because when you give the first 10%, you don't know about the rest of the 90%. It hasn't even come yet. You're saying, God, I'm going to give it. Not knowing if it'll be enough, but I'm going to trust that you will take care of me and provide for me. When am I supposed to give it? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 16 on every Lord's Day, that's for us Sundays, each of you should put aside something from what you have earned during the week and use it for this offering. The amount depends upon how much the Lord has helped you to earn. Tithing is an obedient act of worship that we give each time that we gather together based upon when our pay periods are. And I'm giving the first 10%. I'm giving the best to God. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord by giving him the first of all your income, and he will fill your barns to overflowing. You give God the first and the best, not your leftovers, and then wonder why you don't have anything left over. Keep good records, plan your spending, save for the future, and give God your tithe. And then finally, number five, enjoy what you have. This is the principle of contentment. This means we aren't living with roving eyes, always looking around at what everybody else has and wishing we had it. We're satisfied with what we have and grateful for it. Ecclesiastes 6.9. It's better to be satisfied with what you have than to be always wanting something else. This is the principle I believe we most often violate. It's where we're constantly wanting more, always driven by this culture and by this society to want more than what we have. We're scrambling, try to get more, and we don't even take time to enjoy what we already have what God has given us. We have a very nice house, we have a very nice apartment, we have a a, a vehicle that runs, we have a roof over our head and we have food. Most of us aren't starving, at least we don't look like we are. And so, why don't we live satisfied and grateful for what God has given us? Hebrews 13, five says, be content with whatever you have. God's word is clear. That we're to deal with these five things, these five items, in God's order. And the world most often does it this way. The world first earns it, hopefully. They'll get a job and they'll earn it. And then they enjoy it. They go out and they buy their toys and their luxuries, things that they want. They're already thinking towards Black Friday. Thinking, what deals are going to come up that I can get something else? that Maybe my TV, my TV, by the way, my TV is, uh, man, it goes back probably at least, six, seven, eight years, my TV's old, and uh, there's more room in my uh, area where my TV sits for a bigger TV, and I was watching. When we were on vacation, the place we stayed had a, uh, what is it called, UH TV, is that what it's called? UHD, is that what it's called? No, it's U, it's got a U in it. I think it's ultra-high definition. I think that's what it is. We had an ultra-high-definition TV on vacation. The picture was so clear. And uh, we could see. We could see. I mean, at our age, we could see. (laughs) So Black Friday's coming. When is Black Friday? Amazon has already started Black Friday. We have Prime Days already. I don't even have to wait. But that's what the world does. It's constantly impressing upon us that what we have isn't good enough instead of being grateful for what we do have. So they enjoy it. Next thing they do is they maybe repay it. That's their past debts and bills because they know that if they want to enjoy what they have, they've got to have some place to put it. So they want to make sure they pay their mortgage or their rent or their utilities, you know, those things, food maybe. Or number four, they save it. If there's any left, they save a little bit. They say, well, we know we're not going to have a whole lot because Social Security, we don't even know if it'll still be around, so we've got to save a little bit. So they put a little bit aside. And then finally, if there's even a few pennies left, they will give that. They they think about the things that are eternal in it. They're going to maybe give a little bit to God. Whereas God tells his people, this is how you should do it. Number one, you earn it. Number two, you tithe it. You give to God first. You give to God first. Number three, you save it. You take a portion of that money, no matter how much it is, and you say, I'm going to set aside. I don't care. We, we've talked to couples where we've said set aside $5 a week. Even $5 is getting you into a principle and a system of savings. Number four, repay it. You pay your debt. You pay your bills. You make sure that you stay current. And then, number five, finally, having done all of that, then you get to enjoy it. Now, I began this series with an idea, and it was very simply this. Out-of-control finances are a symptom of an out-of-control life. Out-of-control finances are a symptom of something bigger. It's a symptom of an out-of-control life. It's in the same way that I've often thought that people whose houses are a complete disaster area probably means there's something going on internally as well. It's a bit of a disaster area. And so my question to you is, as you look at your finances, you ought to be asking yourself, how are we doing? How are we doing with what God has given us? Have we taken time to sit down and actually make up a budget? If you haven't, don't be so proud that you won't ask for help. There are people around here who could help you significantly. People whose lives have kind of, you, you can watch them and see that they live in an orderly way. Ask them for some help. I think it's important to ask ourselves, how are our finances doing? How's our debt at this point? Do we have a plan for getting out of debt, to live as debt-free as possible? Isaiah 55.2 says this, Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. You see, what we need is more than just a financial manager. What we need is a life manager. And his name is Jesus Christ. I said last week that the root behind all of our financial problems is primarily fear, fear and unbelief. I don't believe that God can provide what I have need of, so therefore I'm going to manage my own finances. I'm going to take it into my own hands, and I'm going to make sure it works. But we've all found that that doesn't work so well for any of us. Am I going to do what God says, or am I going to do what seems most convenient and easiest for me at this time? Because whatever I put my trust in, Whatever is my security is ultimately my God, my idol. If I put my trust in money, and if I put my trust in my happiness, my contentment, if I put my trust in my luxuries, then I can't say that God is my God. That's where my trust is. That's what I'm measuring my life by. But when I trust in God, I learn to be satisfied with what God has given me and to live my life that way. Would you stand with me? This whole month, and we're starting next week a different thing. We're going to be talking about peace, actually. So I encourage you to come in the midst of all the uproar that's going on and knowing that we're coming upon a time frame with uh, the election cycle happening and people are in uproar. Uh, I drove by uh, yesterday, was it? I think it was yesterday. Drove by the um, Board of Elections, and the line was long waiting for people who want to get in and make sure their vote is counted. So there's all kinds of upheaval in the world. So next week we're going to start talking about peace. But over the month of October, we have looked at the issue of life stewardship. Our time, our energy, and yes, our finances. How are you spending yourself in these days? Have you given your life to God? Is he your Lord? Do you live that way? If people were to look at your finances, would they say, your finances demonstrate that God is your Lord? Or is it a somewhat different story? I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads. Commit your life and all that you have to the Lord right now. Just say, God, I'm yours. I belong to you. It's not just that I love God. I'm his. I belong to God. Everything I have, everything I am is his. Just take a moment and say, God, I'm yours. And now having done that, take a moment and just say, God, all I have is yours. So help me to know how you want me to use what you have given me. Not just to spend it, but to use it to invest it for the kingdom. It's not just about us getting out of debt. That's not our agenda. Our agenda is us being God ruled, to do all that pleases Him, to use what we have, leverage it for the kingdom. And if there's places where you realize you you haven't done, maybe you haven't taken time to write it down and to budget, and you've thought, well, I don't need to, I guess we're okay, and when, when I'm running short, I just go ahead and take an extra job on the side. What is it that God would have of you? Maybe there's some changes that you need to make in your finances. Maybe there's some things that you need to say, I need to cut out. Uh, I've made these part of my need when they're really not a need at all. I know this has been very practical in some ways and you're used to something different, but I think it's important for us that we allow our lives to be ordered by him on every level. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm asking you to uh, convict our hearts where we have fallen short. Not condemnation, for sure, but convict us and help us, Father, to have the courage to make changes that we need. Help husbands and wives to go home and to talk together about their finances. And to not make it an argument, not make it a fight, just say, let's agree together. Let's lay our hands upon our checkbook. Let's lay our hands upon any budget we have and say, God, it's all yours. Help us to order this in a way that pleases you and is used to further your kingdom. And then, Father, I pray that you would help them if they need to to be courageous enough, humble enough to ask for help and to begin to live 2021 differently and better because they've now given their lives wholly to you on every level, including their finances, their time, and their energy. And then, Lord, I pray that 2021 would reflect in a year that was better than they ever could have anticipated. And at the end of 2021, they'll be able to say, God helped us so much throughout this year on so many different levels. Let this be a year as we look at 2021 a year of testimony. And then, Lord, I know we're not done with 2020, and we're not trying to hurry anything, but we're just saying, God, in 2020, as we're looking towards the holidays, give us wisdom and forbearance to do that which would honor you and help us to follow your principles as you've laid out in Proverbs so that at the end of this year, we don't have to, think to ourselves that it's going to take 2021 just to get out of the debt that we created at the end of 2020. Lord, we believe you for your help for every single family and every single individual that's here. We believe you for miracles as they give their lives to you, Lord. Miracles of provision, of um, sales for the very item that they needed, for coupons for the very thing that they needed and that you, God, would do miracles among us. That's our prayer. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And then the ushers will dismiss you. Uh, And again, don't forget to get your kiddos down in the nursery. And don't forget to stuff the turkey, okay? So as you go out for groceries, grab some extras and put them in there. Thank you.